Welcome back. Halford and Bruff here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. Halford and Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Uh, joining us now on the line to talk a little Winnipeg Jets, he is uh, a host on 680 CJOB in Winnipeg. He is Jim Toth. Jim, thanks for doing this. How are you? Jason, Jamie, I'm doing well. Happy August. I hope everything's yeah. well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, our pleasure. Uh, yeah, it is August. Uh, we are, uh, you know, we're, we're finding things to talk about on, uh, on a sports radio show here in Canada. <laughs> we're doing our very, very best. So, uh, you know, I do find the situation the Jets are in really, really interesting. Obviously, there was a ton of speculation surrounding this team going into the offseason. Now, Blake Wheeler departs. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois is traded. So it's not as if it's been completely quiet, but there's also names like Mark Shifley and, and Connor Hellebuck who are still there. Overall, what what's your kind of uh, reaction to or what have you made of what Winnipeg has done and hasn't done so far this summer? Well, I, I think it's kind of, I mean, it's not surprising that the two players you've named in Wheeler and Dubois are gone. Um, it's a little bit surprising that Kevin Cheveldayoff uh, got as much as he did for Pierre-Luc Dubois, but then again, that's what he does, right? When back to a corner, when people sort of think he has to do something, months go by, and then he pulls out something from his hat that looks pretty good that could help this team. So um, in that aspect of it, nothing surprises me. I am a little bit surprised of, of the Hellebuck Shifley scenario, but then again, gentlemen, I'm I, I'm not because I look at the market around the National Hockey League. There there aren't a lot of teams that don't have interest in Connor Hellebuck, and and even we started the summer with the New Jersey Devils heavily interested in that, but there's just no money out there. Um, it, it's fascinating to me how this is going right now with a lot of teams, and we could go to Toronto with the Nylander situation and around the league, Boston needs centers, but who are they going to give up and, and do they have any cap space and, and what to do with it? Um, this summer, maybe more so than ever, and we've been talking about it for 10 years, that cap space is at a premium, and this year it just seems like the most. Um, it sounds like New Jersey can't afford Hellebuck $6.2 million this year, um, and so then you yeah, wonder how many deals are out there. There's so much business I do think needs to be done, um, including here in Winnipeg, and I just don't see it. So I'm kind of on the point that I, I think maybe the Winnipeg Jets circle back to, to both Hellebuck and Shifley and and um, see where they're at cash-wise. And, and what I mean by that, if Hellebuck wants $9 million and it's not out there or available, um, is there work to be done in a three-way trade? Is there something that can happen? Or... Do you circle back to Connor Hellebuck and go, look, if you're willing to sign a two-year extension three years from now, the, the cap world will be vastly different. You'll only be 31. And in the meantime, instead of making nine, we'll give you seven and a half and combine the 6.2 this year. You could walk out of here as a 31-year-old if you want with, you know, $20 million, more so than the 6.2 this year or somewhere else. So, I think that that's what's happening. I think the Jets have recircled around both those players to see where they're at. Where they're at, I have no idea. But it's been fascinating with what has been done and, and really to what your point was of what hasn't been done here yet. Do they have to do something before training camp starts or the regular season starts with Shifley and Hellebuck? Or could they, in theory, go into the season with just those guys on the team in the same contract status they have right now? 
Well, I keep hearing they can, but I don't know how they can. And 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 to a point, yes, and to a point, no. I feel like I'm an arbitrator here. I'm not really answering <laughs> your guys' questions. It's a tough situation. It's, it's a really tough yeah, situation. Like Calgary's in a similar situation with some of their players. Exactly. So to me, can you go into camp and can you play a month, month and a half? Yes, you can. Can you pass the Christmas break and be in a playoff spot and unload your number one center and number one top five in the NHL goalie? No, you can't. What team that wants him is going to give you a ton of stuff for them because they want him because they're in contention, right? Um, so I, I think you can go into training camp, just given the parameters around the cap and the lack of cash, I think you can start the season. But if those guys aren't willing to resign here, and, and what I mean by that is like, in today's NHL, it's kind of getting like the NBA, and I hate it, to be honest with you, where players are dictating more and more. If you don't want to sign here, then you know make that apparent and say, I understand where you're at and get me out of here then, and I'll, I'll, I'll work with you on making that happen. The idea of I'm going to wait and see where you're at, and, and maybe if we have a good two months, I'll stay, and maybe if I'm not... I don't think they can afford to do that. I think Kevin Cheveldayoff going into camp needs to know exactly if Mark Shifley wants to sign an extension here and what it is, and the same with Connor Hellebuck. And if they don't, I think he has to, a lot of work ahead of him to move these guys. Um, I think they did okay by buying out Blake Wheeler and, and just paying him two-plus million for the next two years and having that, that cap space. I think they did great in the Dubois trade and brought in three assets and a pick that's really going to help them and change the dynamic of this team and how it plays. Can you go into a season and, and trade Connor Hellebuck midseason and, and get a Connor Hellebuck or maybe a number one center back for him or a top D-man? I don't think you can because I don't see a scenario where a team that doesn't want him now will want him more so in November to the point where he'll give you what you want and deplete their own lineup. I think it has to be done in the summer. I think it has to be done prior to camp. Can they? Yeah, they can. Can they go much far into the season? I don't think they can. I don't know how you sell that here or to the team that's acquiring him if both teams are in a playoff run. And then, and even if they're not, guys, and, and it's January and, and they're 12 points out of a playoff spot, what are you going to get for him? Like, I think it has to be done in this offseason. How much of the kind of the, the difficulty of that of the situation with Shifley and Hellebuck stems from the fact that Winnipeg's not necessarily in a clear, obvious spot as a team, right? If they were clearly rebuilding, it would be a no-brainer. Okay, we have to trade these guys, you know, as soon as possible, get the maximum return. If they were a, a clear-cut Stanley Cup contender, it would be a lot easier to hold on to them. But they're kind of in that middle position where it's not clear what their next steps are. I mean, what would you say? Like, what phase is this Jets team in right now? Well, Jamie, they're they're in. I'm a Chicago Bears fan. They're in that phase where you're just good enough to keep sucking. Um, <laughs> you, you you can make the playoffs one year and you'll get knocked out in the first round. Uh, you, you won't make it the next year because your schedule change became more difficult, and then you're back there. Look, I like everything they've done, and, and Jason knows this for the past five years. You had an extremely talented team. You had a really good core. It was deep. He kept augmenting, augmenting, augmenting to see if it would work. It didn't. And then in the fashion, it didn't work this year, where you were in first place in January in the West, barely made the playoffs come April, and then were knocked out in the first round after dominating the Stanley Cup winner in game one in all facets of the game, and then a no-show in game five, the elimination game. 
you've done what you had to do when you've mounted this skill. What what problem was is the culture and, and the way that guys were upset more so about what the coach said as opposed to how the season ended. So you did your work. You, you kept doing what you had to do. You, you re-signed some key guys, and it just didn't work. It's time to move on. Um, so that is the question, right? Do they have to be a non-playoff team? I don't think so. I, I think the return on Connor Hellebuck and Mark Scheifele could keep this team in the playoffs if, if the market's there. I love what they've done with this team in, in Gabe Velarde and Aya Fallo. I, I think those are two guys that will change the dynamic of this team. This is a team that tried to consistently outscore their problems, no matter who the coach was. And when they didn't and played defense, they were in first place after three months this past season. When they got back to trying to outscore their problems and not do the work it takes to, to win hockey games, that's when they started losing again. So uh, a Gabe Velarde and I have followed, that's a new direction, right? Like if you can give up less and not score as much, I think with Connor Hellebuck or, or Shifley, you can get more done. But the return on those guys, I've said this all year, and I think I said it on your guys' show a couple of months ago, Jason, you're not selling land in northern Manitoba. You're selling prime beachfront property here in the National Hockey League. You should get a good return for it. Pierre-Luc Dubois is a good sign of that. So is there deals out there? There has to be somewhere. Can it work? I think so. But I think this is a team that can reload. And what Kevin Cheveldayoff has done really well is he's made sure that they don't have to go through a rebuild. Um, Kyle Connor, Nick Ehlers, both two and three years left. Josh Morrissey's locked up. Where these two or three key guys have always come up contract-wise, there's been two or three key guys of the core that have two or three years left. And what he's done with the Morrisseys is that goes past the Connor, the, the Ehlers. He has staggered these contracts and use the draft and develop model to make sure that they're just kind of always retooling. Will it work year in, year out? No, they had a stacked team and missed the playoffs two years ago. Um, but he's kind of laid it out that way that I don't think Winnipeg will ever be in a rebuild. I don't think they'll ever trade a first-round pick because those are the guys that they know will be in their lineup. I think they're going to continue to retool, retool, retool. They'll be the odd year, I think, where they don't get in. But you bring up a valid point. In this market, after 12 years, it's, it's, I think teams will, will – I think fans will pay to watch Nino Nino, Nino, Nino Ryder – um, Gabe Velarde, Alex Iafalo, guys like that work their tail off night in, night out, as opposed to watch a highly skilled team that pulls some no-shows during you every season. That's the kind of market this is. And when mm -hmm. I pitched that at the start of the summer, that's all we've been hearing about. Get guys that work hard, work their tail off night in, night out. And if they get in, great. If they have a chance to win, awesome. Um, so I think that's the way the kind of organization has, has had a slow wake-up call to um, we love our skill. We're going to keep drafting it, but we're going to draft hardworking two-way guys, Rutgers McGordy, this past year's draft, that, that we need a culture change, and, and when we're going to fight for it. Are they a Stanley Cup contender? Probably not, um, but can they still be a playoff team year in, year out, and then hopefully strike gold? Yeah, I think they can, and I think that's what Kevin Chivaldeoff has been entrusted to do once again as they go into this new era. How does the culture change, or what's different now that Blake Wheeler isn't on the team? Well, from what I've been told, and and, and I've said this before on the on your guys' show, like I don't mind Blake Wheeler because he just wants to win. How he goes about it, does he rub guys the wrong way, and and has it become really his team? Yes, more so than ever on those exit day meetings when, like I said, he he kind of was the only player who who called out Rick Bonus for his comments after Game Five in Vegas, but also said, "But we all make mistakes, and we can make this work." 
the rest of the team was just like, to me, guys, it wasn't shocking. He said that it wasn't shocking. Maybe Hellebuck backed him up on that. What was shocking was the Kyle Connors, the Adam Lowry's, the Josh Morrissey's of the world that sort of told that line. Um, so what I understand and from the culture around the team is, is whether he, he had to go. And, and I think maybe a little bit of Shifley is in and around that too, to the point where you should be up more upset about that. You lost again in the playoffs than you are about how your coach described it. And I, I wholly believe that. But from what I understand is it's, you know, he doesn't walk around the room and say, this is what we're doing. This is the way it is. But he carried so much cachet after 12 years here that no matter what his opinion was, others would fall in line with it. I think with him gone, uh, I think that, you know, there'll be guys who get their own voices now. And I think guys that will, will pull the boat in a different way or row it in a different way, so to speak. So did it turn out to be a negative? Yeah. Did it come from a negative place? I don't think so. I think it's just his type of the way he's wired in leadership. But from what I understand, uh, the team needed an enema and it got one to the point where um, the, the younger players on this team needed to sort of, you know, have their own voice, have their own way. And, and if they didn't, you know, sort of toe the line all the time, they needed to go their own direction. And that wasn't going to happen while he was here. Not that he was enforcing his way, but when he spoke, guys just fell in line. And now that that's gone, guys have the freedom to sort of make their own mind up and choose their own way. Jim, can we uh, get a Zach Caleros update out of you? Uh, he's on the field, and as Derek Taylor, our play-by-play guy at 680 CJB, said, in T-shirts and tights. I don't know what that means. But T-shirts and tights? Just, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't really know, guys. <laughs> um, Mike O'Shea does the usual. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I would I would hate to see myself in a car accident, how Mike O'Shea would describe it, because he'll be okay. When he'll be okay, I'm not sure. Uh, just my own opinion, guys, I think it's a neck injury. I don't think it's a concussion, or he wouldn't be out there practicing. Um, as you saw, Drew Brown was more than enough to fill in. So I, I might I think that they might sit him out just to sort of um, give him another week to rest. Nothing malicious or long-term, in my opinion. But then again, he might play as well. So I don't have much of an update for you, but I do know he's on the practice field and walking through everything behind Drew Brown as Drew Brown uh, runs the first-team offense the first two days of practice. Where do you think the uh, West Final is going to be played, Winnipeg or B.C.? Well, I don't know, but if you guys want to fly me out, I hope it's in, in Vancouver. <laughs> and if you don't, then I hope it's in Winnipeg. But, um, yeah, what a battle, eh? Like, uh, I mean, what's lost in the Edmontons and the Calgarys uh, of the world is the fact that this Toronto Argonauts team, this BC Lions mm-hmm. team, and this, this Winnipeg Blue Bombers team, the gap of what Winnipeg has done the past three years has definitely closed. And I think it's good for football. I think it's outstanding for, for football in Vancouver. I, I think it's great what the Lions have done. And I'm, I'm a defense fan, so I love what that defense does. Um, so I just think it's great. I don't know. I, I think the Bombers still have the veteran cachet, right? And I think we saw that in the 50-14 to 14, um, defeat here. Uh, but it was impressive how BC came in and handed it to him in the, the first game. And, and now, like, we usually look at Labor Day to see where the season's going to go. I'm looking towards that uh, September 27th game against Toronto and that final game in Vancouver against the Lions. Whoever yeah. wins that game, I think, will decide where the West Final will be. Yeah, October 6th, the Bombers are at BC Place, and I hope that's – and I think it should be a huge game, and I, I think we could see a pretty big crowd at BC Place. Hopefully, that's the way it all plays out, and hopefully yeah, the West well, Final. Final. Cool Jay back, and I might fly myself back. <laughs> Jim, great, uh, great catching up with you. I hope you're enjoying your uh, summer. We'll talk again soon. 
Same with you guys. Thanks for having me and all the best. Thanks, Jim. That is Jim Toth out of uh, 680 CJOB in Winnipeg covering the Jets uh, and the Blue Bombers. There. Seems like a, a bunch of Canadian teams are experiencing culture changes. Yes. Or right? like we've talked to Ian Mendez this morning. He said the, the Sens are trying to figure out mm-hmm. their identity. Um, and then, you know, in, in Winnipeg, uh, Jim is talking about how there's a, a culture change going on. They've, they're maybe trying even to emerge from like the highly skilled team into a hardworking type of team. Um, maybe that's out of being forced to it yes. a little bit. Um, but they're in an interesting situation because as much as Jim wants to talk about how, you know, Connor Hellbuck is an asset and this is, this is, you know, this is beachfront property. He's talking about like the goalie market is so tough. It's weird. Yeah. And especially when it's not somebody that teams are looking at as a long-term solution necessarily. Right. Like if the, yeah. if the pitch to a team is acquire Connor Hellebuck for this season and he'll be your number one goalie, that's a hard sell, right? Like typically when goalies do get traded, it's they're on the younger side and it's yeah. okay, we're going to sign you to a contract and you're going to be our guy for four or five years. Like Corpusello and right. Ottawa, something like right, that, yeah. you know, with, uh, with Hellebuck, if he, who wants to pay him what he is demanding and if you don't mm-hmm. want to pay him that then you're looking at just a one-year acquisition a rental basically and i think you know there's a reason we don't see goalies move at the trade deadline a lot right like a, a rental yeah. goalie is is not exactly an attractive uh, an attractive thing for a lot of teams i actually just look corpusello is like a year younger than hellebuck <laughs> so maybe a bad example there but like but yeah i just don't know how if Hellebuck's saying like I'm not, I'm not playing. I'm not yeah. signing another contract in Winnipeg. One year, two year, eight year. I'm not. I'm not signing it. I think they're going to be in tough to get value for him. Oh yeah, you know Shifley might be a little bit different because I think you could sell Shifley to a team that then extends him. Yep. Right. The goalies. Not only do you have the worry about Hellebuck getting older and signing him to a long-term contract, like you have that with a lot of situations. And some teams will just be like, listen, we're willing to do it anyway, right? But with goalies, you've also got the, well, we could go cheap and still win the Stanley Cup option. Yep, That isn't there with centers or defensemen. Nobody sits there and goes like, <laughs> no. we're going to go cheap with our number one center. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're going to hope this guy's been buried down in the AHL yeah, exactly, for a while. Yeah. We're going to put him in as 1C, though. And we're gonna see. Hey, he got works. hot. We'll see where this he goes. Got hot. Wow, yeah. that's crazy, right? Like it just, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. But it does in the NHL when guys are winning the Stanley Cup. Oh, I'm forgetting his name, Aiden Hill. Like, yeah, he, like I just, I, I was like, what is his name again? The guy who won the Stanley What's Cup, the goalie, name? Aiden Hill, right? Like when he's winning the Stanley Cup. Other managers are like, well, we could go cheap here. And I think from Winnipeg's perspective, it's tough when the player, it's not just you're trading a goalie, you're trading a guy who has been a key player, if not the key player on your team for a long time, right? So you are just inherently going to have a kind of inflated sense of what he's worth because he's been so good for you and so key to your team. I think in that situation, it's really hard to wrap your head around the idea that he might not have that much value as a yeah. trade asset. You're like, well, what are you talking about? He's Connor Hellebuck. He's, yeah. he's kept us in games. He's won games, so many games for us. And you have like to face us, the reality. Us, it was like us with Luongo. Exactly, right? right? And, you know, at a certain point, I think, if you're not willing to let him walk, then you're going to have to just 
accept the reality that oh, we might not be getting much for him, and that's going to hurt, yeah. but it's probably better than letting him walk. Can you imagine if they end up getting like, we got a second-round draft pick for Connor <laughs> Can't you see that? That's yeah, probably totally. what it's going to be. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's going to be weird, but that's the goalie market. Hey, I've got a question for you. All right. Um, in terms of being a fan of a team. Yes. What, and we're talking about identity, what kind of team do you want to cheer for? Like, what's an identity of a team? Because I actually think this is quite important for Canucks ownership. Mm. Because I think they've always been very hesitant to be the type of team that would hire, like, a defense-first sure. coach, yeah. you know. And I think and I think the Tortorella experience um, showed them, like, oh, we don't want to be, like, that type of team. We want to be playing entertaining hockey. So... Now, I'm not saying you have to agree with that or anything, like, but if there's an identity of a team that you would want to see, what would it be? So, Drance brings this up all the time, and he's always saying, oh, no, it ha- you have to have a, a high-octane team in Vancouver. Like, look at the history and the West Coast Express. And right. my response is always, people would be over the moon for a team that was a legit Stanley Cup contender, even if they were winning every game 2-1. Right. Like, yeah, winning yeah. would trump... At this point, mm-hmm. especially, winning would trump everything. Now, I think you're probably right about how ownership feels about that. From my perspective, and, like, even taking it beyond just the Canucks, but to, in the abstract, I don't care too much about the style a team I watch is going to play or a team I root for is going to play. I mean, I think... There's a natural, like, I would rather see high event fun hockey than, yeah. than boring low event hockey. But the big thing for me, if it's, is I want to feel like the team is competitive. Mm-hmm. Like, they, that they have a high degree of competition. That's if you, exactly what I was going to say. If competitive. You, whatever competitive the style nature. within that nature, is, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. you can be competitive and a high octane offensive team. Mm-hmm. You can be competitive and a defensive team. I don't really care beyond that as long as I feel like the team is working really hard yeah. and really, really competing. That's the number one thing. And exploring every avenue possible to success. Um, now, there is also an old school part of me that does not want a team that's going to get bullied in any way. Yeah. That sticks up for itself. Uh, and I think that's the most important thing. Like, you can get, um, I don't want to say, yeah, just don't let yourself get bullied. You don't have to be the biggest and toughest team in the league, but you do have to stick up for each other. I think that's really important for me. But that probably comes with competitiveness. Right? Like yeah, this for is sure. Not gonna, that's I'm, part of competitive. Yeah, that's part of competitive. Yeah. Like we talked about uh, the word relentless mm. yesterday. We've thrown a lot of buzzwords around. It's like summer buzzword. Sports radio, radio baby. Right? Like how many cliches can these guys come up with? Turns out hundreds. But I think that comes with just like you. This this guy's on my team, mm-hmm. and if someone else on that team on the opposition does something that I don't like. I don't sit there and wait for, wait, where's our goon, right? Like, where's Luke, Luke Shen, like, please come in and take care of this. No, you go up and you don't have to fight, but you have to at least say something, make it generally known that you You don't appreciate it. That you're not, that you're not happy with it. And I think, unfortunately, we've seen a few times with this Canucks team where that, that hasn't happened. Uh, it is Halford and Bruff here on Sportsnet 650. Shayna Goldman, really interesting piece up at The Athletic about uh, some tips the NHL can take from other leagues about how to grow the game. We will talk to Shayna about that. That's coming up next here. Halford and Bruff, Sportsnet 650. The People's Show, your home for Vancouver summer sports talk. Subscribe to the podcast now.
Halford and Bruff here, Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Jason Bruff here with you. Halford and Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. What we learned is coming up in an hour at 8.30, so still lots of time to get your submission in. Hashtag WWL, uh, what you learned over the last 24 hours in sports. But we will continue the hockey discussion right now uh, from The Athletic. Joining us, she is Shana Goldman. Shana, thanks very much for doing this. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Uh, so I really enjoyed your piece uh, that you wrote with uh, with Saad Yusuf at The Athletic yesterday. Ten lessons the NHL could learn from other professional sports leagues to grow the game. And, you know, before we get into some of the, uh, the specific suggestions and lessons that you lay out and you detail in the piece, just from a kind of big picture perspective, I mean, like I feel kind of silly saying, you know, make the case for growing the game. I think we all understand why that's important. But just in kind of a, from a specific sense, what's the NHL leaving on the table by not exploring some of these avenues? Like, how is the league hurting itself uh, by not doing a better job growing the game? Yeah, it just feels like the league is so hell-bent on thinking that the game is going to grow organically. And to a point it does, right? You don't have to market to old school fans and the most traditionalists and the hockey lifers because they're going to stick around forever. They have this long. They're probably going to continue doing so. We see it in some of the biggest markets. Vancouver's one of them that no matter how much the team has struggled and how much fans are frustrated, they keep coming back for more. You don't have to market to them. But you have to look at how the NHL stands up to the other leagues, especially outside of Canada, you know, Hockey is not the biggest sport in the United States, and it just you can easily see how they are lagging behind the other leagues because they don't try to break out and try to market the game to new fans. So it just feels like a missing avenue when they really can take hockey up to the next level. Will it ever overtake the NFL? Absolutely not. But could they try to push for more exposure than maybe the NBA has or even try to push back on baseball, which is you know, one of the more older and traditional sports and still is finding ways to grow their fan base. Like there, there are methods to do that if they want to put the effort in. And that's, you know, the big question. Do they want to try? Do they think that they're fine as it is? So what's the number one thing they have to do? Um, I would say the number one thing is definitely making it a little more accessible. It, it's tricky because you could look at it two ways and say the number one thing is being more player-centric, or you could say the number one thing is accessibility. I think the accessibility has to come first, and I think that's in a handful of ways. I think there's you know, the accessibility from how the game can be consumed, right? Everything is so convoluted now with streaming services, and I don't want to sound like a boomer or anything. I think it's great that everything's available <laughs> via streaming, but... For us, you know, we have NHL Network in the United States. You can't stream that. If a game's on NHL Network, it's blacked out on ESPN+. Plus. So you're either watching it on NHL Network, if you have cable and pay for that package, or nothing. Mm-hmm. That's taking away a lot of fans right there. You know, there's so many different ways to watch games, and there's so many issues with everything. There should be a clear, simple way, even if it is some great streaming package, to watch games and to consume highlights in some sort of red zone variety to make it a little easier 
you know, everybody knows how to watch football on a Sunday. Everybody knows what channels to go to or how to stream it. Everybody knows that you can get a cable add-on for Red Zone. You can consume a little bit of everything. Having that accessibility, I think, is important. And then there's the accessibility aspect off the ice, too, right, of making this game a little more palatable for people, for kids growing up, for, you know, making it more affordable for everybody to be interested in it. There's so many different elements, but the number one is just, I think, that big, broad idea of making hockey more accessible, especially here, because we don't have that, like, organic marketing that Canada do, does of hockey just being ingrained at everyone, yeah. right? I think Canadians have a tough time wrapping their heads around that. But, um, you know, it, uh, Mike and I spent a, a number of years working for NBC when uh, it was on the NBC Sports Network, um, in addition to the odd game on actual NBC. But, you know, you would go into hotels and you'd be like, how can I watch the hockey game? And they're like, we don't get NBC Sports Network, right? And um, I would ask you, how much has that changed since the NHL went to ESPN? It's changed a bit. So we have games on national networks here. We have Every Wednesday night, you know you're going to watch a game on TNT. That is, I think, technically just outside of basic cable, but it's a channel that really generally is accessible to all. Mm -hmm. But if you're watching that game outside of cable, you have to log into a TNT app with a cable login to watch it. I'm not sure if there's even a standalone package that you can just watch their streaming service. So if you don't have cable, you're out on that. Right. For ESPN Plus games, they do a good job if it's on ESPN or ESPN2 or occasionally on a weekend or during the playoffs, you might get a game on Channel 7. That's basic cable for everybody. Those games are within the streaming package that you're purchasing. So if you want to watch games, you have that ability from every device on ESPN+, Plus, which really is a good thing. It was nice having NHL TV here that you had that standalone package, but obviously ESPN Plus is more, a more broad-reaching package deal that so many people have, but then you get into the issues of whether hockey's prioritized enough on it, whether they've smoothed out the product enough and, you know, all those hurdles as well. And, you know, there are some fans that'll be upset at that ESPN exclusive games, which you can stream through Hulu too. So there's, <laughs> there's so many pluses and minuses to it, but yeah. sometimes it's like, I, I think that some fans, someone like me can find the game wherever they want to watch it. Right. Like I think baseball is one of the weirdest of all because of the Peacock deals and the Apple TV deals. Like, Someone like me can find a way to watch the game, and a lot of fans can. There are a lot of fans who aren't as, you know, present online or <laughs> streaming through all this stuff that knows it. They can easily find a game. So for all the strides that they've taken, there's still those complications. I'll go, Boomer. The world has gotten too fast and too complicated. <laughs> um, let's talk a bit about the player-centric element of this because – um, we've talked about this for a million years, it seems like, in the NHL. And, um, you know, the idea is to put the players front and center and get these players more recognizable. And I always go back to, like, uh, I don't think they want to be more recognizable, right? Like, we have a whole thing in Canada where people are like, I don't know if I want to play in Canada. Seems like a lot of pressure. So how do you get these types of personalities to put themselves front and center and become these star players that can help grow the game. Yeah, that's the thing. Like not everybody wants to be 
that superstar on and off the ice. And that's okay. You know, I don't think that there's anything wrong with it. I think for us in the United States, you know, some might say, well, who's the greatest American player right now? And you might say Austin Matthews, but the fact that he doesn't play in the U.S. is the drawback. Or maybe there's aspects of him that fans don't want to cling to. Like, there's so many different elements of it. The best player in the world is Conor McDavid, and Conor McDavid doesn't have the personality to match the game on the ice. But Mm -hmm. that's fine. Like, there are other players... The NHL, I think, needs to be willing to lean into. And the players have to be willing to play ball, right? Someone like Matthew Kachuk, who among us wasn't thirsting over Matthew Kachuk in the playoffs because of all the personality he showed? He was on People magazine. Like, that is not a small feat. There were clips of him. Everybody wanted to know what he was doing. And the same is true for last postseason. Not only did people love Matthew Kachuk because he had, you know, the personality and the spice on the ice, but Brady Kachuk partying and watching him or, you know, over the summer people are seeing him sing karaoke to Mr. Brightside and people love that. So there are players you can tap into, you know, to make faces of the NHL and hockey fans have to learn not to push back when they hear something like that, because when Kachuk was deemed that by people magazine, people went nuts because no, he's not as Connor McDavid. Well, Matthew, Matthew Kachuk's becoming it. So you have to find the players who want to take that and want to expand and want to show other interests and, show their personalities, and run with it. And there's a ton of players, I think, that are willing to do that. David Poshnok has a personality. He has a fashion sense. He's on commercials. He's someone that, you know, yes, there's a language barrier. Of course, this isn't an American player, but he's someone that's thriving with it anyway. Um, you go back to, you know, past years, it's someone like Henrik Lundqvist, who became an icon in New York and was marketed as such. So I think that there's an opportunity to look at the Nathan McKinnons and the Jason Robertsons and Eric Carlson's and Jack Hughes is someone who seems like he wants to be a star on and off the ice as well. And, you know, you could even go for the Mika's manager as someone who has outside interests or William Nylander, who's super stylish. Like there are these players, I think with untapped potential that if you brought in their platform and give it more of that international stage that the NHL can do versus just the players, you know, individual platform. And there's such a way to make these more household names and make it that, if a player's walking down the street, that they're recognizable. Mm-hmm. As long as that player wants to be in that position. And obviously, you know, I think we have to break free of that. You can't have an eye before we mentality in hockey and all things like that, because that's not true at all. You know, it's, it's something to push the game along. I don't think anyone's looking at Matthew Kachuk and saying, well, wow, he's so selfish for taking the chance to, you know, let his personality be known on such a big stage during the playoffs. Um, you've got another point in here, more appointment watching games and you point to the NFL and how they have like every weekend has like, you know, the big game or the, you know, there's a Sunday night game and then CBS will have its, uh, I can't remember what it's called football night in America or something like that. But they'll have games that, like, I'm a Sunday Seahawks. night football on NBC. Yeah, uh, America's game of the America's week. America's game of the week is the CBS afternoon game. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, and then there's yeah. Monday night football, and like for the most part, they're all good matchups, you know. And I'm a Seahawks fan, but I will still tune into those games if they are not Seahawks related. Uh, the NHL can't seem to get to that level where there are fans of other teams that will willingly and look forward watching uh, other teams that aren't their teams. How can they get there? I think the NHL first needs to accept that fans will watch other games if you make it accessible and available to them, right? Because on a Tuesday night, 
a Red Wings fan is watching the Red Wings play at 7 o'clock. And unfortunately, they're not watching anything else because there's nine other games at third 7 o'clock Eastern. So they can't. And even if they wanted to during the intermissions, they can't because everything else is in the intermission. So you have to balance out the schedule a little bit more. So there's that ability to watch more teams and consume other games. So when those big national games happen, there's a little more interest in it because maybe you don't want that one-off game that you're going to watch, you know, the Florida Panthers on a national broadcast because you can't watch them the rest of the year. They overlap with all of your team games. And I think if they, right now, the way the schedule is, you know, there's Tuesdays, Thursdays, Saturdays, they're jam-packed, and then the rest of the days aren't. If you balance it out a little bit more that everyone can consume a bit and then specialize the one day of the week, I think that makes it more interesting instead of, well, there's one game on a Monday and there's one game on a Friday. As it is, we have the national game on Wednesday that gets that, that spotlight and the schedule is kind of you know, open around that. So the emphasis is on those games. NBC tried. Rivalry nights didn't really turn into much. You could try doing that, right? You could make it that every Wednesday there's a big doubleheader of, you know, divisional matchups that everybody wants to watch or rematches the past playoff series and really pump it up and give it the big game treatment. That's one way. And then let the schedule kind of be a little bit more balanced the rest of the nights so that you can keep watching these teams without missing out on your own as often. Or, you know, Friday nights maybe, right? Friday night we never see big games on. The schedule sometimes will have, what, three to four games when there's a, and then Saturday's jam-packed, but you can't watch everything. So it just feels like there's a way to kind of brand maybe one or two nights a little bit more than what they currently do and make it that it's just not this one-off. You're watching this one team for the one time only. You know, you need it that there's a way to – keep up with teams and keep that more national perspective as much as possible and then try to specialize a couple games in between. And it could be something like the big city greens classic last year for young fans. People were watching that game and it got the national treatment opposite of that. Um, what was it? Disney. It was a Disney show. I think it is right. It was the Disney yes. show for kids. And then for everybody else, you could watch it on ESPN, like something like that, you know, just to make it a little more special. Shana, always appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day. Thanks for having me. That is Shana Thanks, Goldman Shana. of The Athletic. And again, interesting piece up at The Athletic. Uh, Ten lessons the NHL could learn from other professional sports leagues to grow the game. And it is such an interesting topic because the NHL, there's always pushback to any change so you, you suggest or that the NHL even implements, right? Mm -hmm. There's always people. And I think especially with the NHL, it's fascinating because you have the Canadian versus American divide, right? And we have this sense of ownership. And when they try to do something different south yeah. of the border, there's like, how dare you? How dare you try that? I also feel like I personally am the worst guy to talk to about this because <laughs> like, I'm fine with what it is right now. Yeah. Like, I honestly am. Right, like, and I don't care what the players wear. Mm, like, mm. I, I, I hate the segments on like Fashion Day with like, and they've tried. You know, they do them up here, and they they yep. do them. I'm like, I'm flipping the channel as soon as it because like I because I I don't care. Yeah, right. It's... And it seems cringy. It seems forced. And you know, to me, like, there's also something that I like about the humble culture in some ways that hockey has, right? Like, I, and I know it's not all humble. Like, and I know that hockey culture has problems, right? Like, I realize this, but like, 
you know, we sit here and we talk about what do we want the Canucks to be? We want them to be a team, mm-hmm. right? We want them to work together and be a team and not be a bunch of individuals. And then you have people like, yeah, don't be afraid to be an individual. That helps marketing. So for me, I'm like, yeah, I'm okay with how it is. But right? I'm, point, I'm okay with how it is. I think there's a lot. I think you can be super hardworking and also have a personality that you share off the ice. Like Matthew sure. Kachuk. Like yeah, he yeah. was hyper competitive, right? Yeah, and he yeah. also. And is, he's a good teammate. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Sticks but like up for we, his teammates, all of that thing, right? But, all but, that stuff. But we would constantly have this debate about PK Subban, right? Yep. And what I always came back to was like, uh, his teammates don't like him. Right? Like, they don't. Like, that's clear. And then people would be like, well, they're wrong to not like him. Mm. Well, how do you know? You're not in the room with him every day. Right? So you have these conversations that go back and forth. And it's kind of like, you know, frankly, I I try not to participate in these, like, online fights or whatever that happen all the time now. Like, because I think a lot of it is like, you should like him. Well, don't tell me what I should like. Like I don't, right? Or you know, and 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 I think that is also part of the culture thing. But I I also wonder if the NHL is a little bit worried about changing that culture because they've got their core fans that may not like the culture mm-hmm. change. And when you have and you're already making good money out of a fan base that does like the product and doesn't want the product changed. You're worried about changing that sort of thing. Well, and I think that comes back to the Canada versus U.S. divide, right? Like, you don't need to try to grow the game in Canada. Now, you should still be – you don't want to take it for granted, right? And you still have to make sure you're doing things to keep it popular. But ultimately, yeah, you don't need to resort to – you know, the fashion segment or even player personalities to get Mm -hmm. people to tune in Mm -hmm. to a hockey night in Canada game, right? Or even a – a Tuesday night game between the Canucks and whoever, right? Like the, it, the game sells itself to a certain extent, but I understand if you're in the States and you are, you know, you've lost touch with yeah. the NBA in terms of popularity, you see MLS coming in your rear view mirror. Like I can understand thinking we got to try some different things oh, here totally, because what totally, we're totally. doing is, is not working yeah, absolutely. <laughs> in the U S context. Like, don't get me wrong. I want personalities in the game, but just because you show your personality doesn't necessarily mean it's a good personality. Yep. Like, th- it's totally true. Well, like, so, show your personality. It's like, ah, I don't really care for it. There's right? something you know? to be said for like, having villains, though, too. Yeah. Right? Yeah, like, they're for yeah. having guys that do mm-hmm. have an obnoxious personality. Humble that can be a part only, of it. Humble culture only gets you so far. Like, if all your players are boring, that doesn't help the game. It hurts the game. Your players need, not all of them, but you need to have players with personality. It can't just be the same cliched answer every single because it's just boring it's not interesting See, but that's not humble we need that's to jerk humble. every once in a while but that's not but that's like being boring isn't necessarily being humble yeah you could be humble and still have a personality of like, course like i think kevin bx is the perfect example of a guy that has personality that's appealing to people for sure right like he is willing to uh poke fun at others and he's got a good dry sense of humor and that's the type of humor that you can see being like in a hockey dressing room, right? Like you'd be like, I like this guy, mm-hmm. right? Like he's going to make fun of me, but I still like that type of guy, yeah. right? And I think that's why, Not he being disrespectful. Ape- that's why he appeals to people. I think they need to find more guys like Kevin Bieksa because I know there's guys out there. Right, like yeah. who? who well, a lot of the how guys many people probably- have been in a hockey dressing room and be like, boy, there's a lot of boring people in here. <laughs> like these guys are 
interesting personalities. A lot of guys Maybe are probably just, afraid to do that, right? Well, that's a, 1, I think there is a, 1, but I think thousand percent. That's part of the negative side of hockey culture is making guys afraid to do it, right? Yeah. Them feeling like if I show my personality, I'm like not being a team first guy. You know, I'm 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 being selfish if I show my making personality. It all about I'm, me, exactly. Team, I'm making yeah. it all about me instead of or, keeping or, the focus or, or on the PD team. With his very correct, but obviously his thing with like I don't want it to be a. I don't want to become a quote or a soundbiter that's taken mm-hmm. out of context. The guys yeah. have to be okay with showcasing that kind of stuff. Not all guys will be comfortable with that. Well, and but, I get it is difficult. But that's what makes right? it interesting. Like, it's but difficult like, to to thread that needle to be BXO where you're interesting and funny, but not stepping in it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's hard to do. And I get mm-hmm. why guys would shy away from that. Totally. Does it? Does uh. Like I was thinking the other day when James Harden came out and called Daryl Morey a liar. Like he just went out there and walked out there and yep. said, "I will never play for Daryl Morey again because he's a liar." I'm sitting there going, "Has anything in hockey ever compared to that?" I mean, I'm sure it has, right? Someone said something crazy like that, but it seems to happen on a weekly basis in the NBA. Yeah, and also the beefs within like. W- player to player mm, on social mm-hmm. media. Like yep. I think, you know, as much as we may despise him in Vancouver, like Brad Marchand yep. was funny on Twitter. Yep. Right? Um so more of those types. But I don't know, man. Like I, I I've I've covered this God, I'm an old guy now. Like I'm I've covered this game for a long time and people have been saying this for a long time. Yep. Right? And it just you know, at cer- at a certain point Sometimes I wonder if the NHL gets to a point is like, you know, they'd read something and they'd be like, don't you think we've thought of this? <laughs> we've like, tried. Like we've tried to get these guys to come out yeah. of their shells. And then everyone watched the NHL All-Star game is like, this sucks. These guys are not funny. Yeah. Like, <laughs> At least not when the cameras forced. are on. This is yeah. forced. I'm cringing. Maybe the, maybe the sense of humor just does not translate. I don't know. Yeah, but I've been in a lot of hockey dressing rooms and I've laughed a lot. I don't know. Maybe some of the content isn't appropriate to share. Maybe that's another thing mm-hmm. that they're running into. I have no idea. Uh, well, and I also think there's it's the player thing is one part of it, right? If you're talking about ideas to grow the game, but you're right, it's also something that has been talked about for a long time, and you have to have ideas beyond that and things that you're willing to try beyond that because it's not even if you all of a sudden every NHL player tomorrow was you know sharing their authentic personality and mm-hmm. and, and being themselves and, and sharing their personalities in front of the camera like that alone is not going to propel the NHL to the NBA start drafting players like for that, personality right? you know what I mean of, so uh, personality yeah. there do have some instead instead talent I saw this guy's stand-up routine yeah at the, terrific. <laughs> at the draft combine tell us a joke <laughs> give, us a, give us a tight five minutes yeah but there has to be other elements to it uh, as well. 650, 650, get your thoughts on that conversation. Also, your What We Learn submissions, uh, that's coming up at 830. Up next, our guy Chris Faber joins the show. It is Halford & Bruff, Sportsnet 650.